twice in Second Thessalonians, Paul talks about our obligation to God and then the saints. What obligation should we have toward both? The holiday weekend had just begun, and the service station was packed. Finally, a minister who had waited 20 minutes to fill his car and pay was addressed by the attendant, who apologized. He said, sorry about the delay. It seems as if everyone waits until the last minute to get ready for the trip he's planned. The pastor smiled. I know what you mean, he said. It's the same in my business. Thankfully, Paul knows the Thessalonian saints are different. They have planned well for their departure, yet the apostle has to tweak their travel plans slightly. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and while you're turning, let me toss three questions your way. Number one, what should you offer to God for your elected brethren? Number two, How should the elect respond to their calling? And then number three, what should you pray for God's elect? Second Thessalonians two, I'll begin reading in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the inspired word of God, how the last time we were together, we saw how the Antichrist would set up shop in the temple of God and desecrate that sacred temple for his unholy purposes. Thank you with the second coming of Jesus Christ, we'll put an end to his dastardly deeds. As we transition to a new topic, I pray that we would give the greatest attention to this short but profound passage of scripture. I pray that your spirit would be our guide, the spirit of truth. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. But shows that there is a contrast that is given because back in verse 12, Paul spoke about those who did not believe the truth, but embraced the lies of the Antichrist. But it also connects the following with chapter 1 of verse 3. And take a look at that. We are bound to thank God always for you. Now, I find this intriguing because the Spirit of God directs Paul to use the same words, but in a reverse order. Here, uh, we have 
Aphelamin, Eucharistain, which is the emphasis upon the obligation. In the present tense verb, Paul is saying that he, Silas and Timothy, by the way, the word we is emphatic, have a continual obligation, and that's distress to what? To give thanks. The reverse order was back in chapter 1, in verse 3, to give thanks, because that was the emphasis, to continually give thanks was your obligation. The idea, though, is that we, child of God, should have an obligation to give thanks for the saints, particularly those that are growing and thriving in the Lord. The reprobate, those who have rejected the truth, they've known the truth but have walked away from it or described in Romans one twenty one. Although they knew God... They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They knew who God was. They want to give him thanks in their hearts. We are to give thanks. It's our obligation to give thanks always. And that's our term here, always. Why would Paul, Silas, and Timothy always give thanks for these saints? They were a model church. Back in the first epistle in chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul noted their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. That triad. They had faith. They had hope. They had love. And in chapter 1 and verse 7 in that first epistle, they became an example to all in Macedonia. They had a great light that reflected in that whole region of Greece. And with a touch of affection, the Apostle Paul addresses them as brethren, like chapter 1 and verse 3, those from the same womb. Then he adds, beloved by the Lord. Beloved here is a perfect tense verb. They had been beloved in the past with that result continuing by the Lord. But now back in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, very interesting, knowing beloved brethren, your election by whom? By God. So in the first epistle, the election and the love directed toward the saints was by God the Father. Here in the second epistle, it's by the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the inspiration of the Spirit of God directs Paul to show the equality of Father and Son. Two persons, if you will, with one essence. I says Jesus, and the Father are one. John chapter 10 and verse 30. And the Apostle Paul shows the equality, again, of Father and Son. Beloved, and notice he says, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Let's unpack this. There's a mouthful here. Notice this from the beginning. These individuals were elect. Elect from eternity past, we could say. Ephesians 1 4 says, according as he, God, has chosen us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. 
Paul records in 2 Timothy 1, 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Notice the words before time began. Again, the election before there was the even knowledge or awareness of time. Turn with me, please, past first and second Timothy to Titus. Titus chapter one. And we want to take a look at the interaction between God's election and when we got saved. So in Titus one, two, Paul writes, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised when? Before time began. The word time there is chronos, chronology, before we had history recorded, if you will. But notice it goes on to say here, but has in due time, the word kairos, which means season, in the due season manifested his word through preaching. So although we were elect before the foundation of the world, it was through the preaching of the gospel, through the message of salvation of Christ's death, his burial and his resurrection, and upon believing that we were born again. And that's what we have before us here. And I want you to note from our text, it's God who did the choosing in our passage. And the word here where it says, because God from the beginning chose you. Chose is a middle voiced verb. In essence, God chose you for himself. We are called, we are chosen because of God's special purpose. It's all about him. And his design, even before the 12 were called, Jesus prays. And we have in Mark chapter 3 in verse 13, and he went up on a mountain and called to himself. There the verb called is also a middle voiced verb. He called the disciples with his special purpose in mind. Ephesians 1, 4 is the same. According as he has chosen, the word chosen is a middle voice verb. He's chosen us for himself. It's so special when you think about what the Lord in his plan has done, but it's all for his glory. And what were we chose for salvation? Well, look at the contrast from 2 Thessalonians 2 in verse 10 and with all unrighteous deception here speaking about the antichrist among those who perish because they did not receive they did not welcome the love of the truth that they might be saved these individuals had been elect but when they heard the gospel they believed upon the finished work of the lord jesus christ so it's for salvation notice through sanctification by the spirit it's the sanctification that is brought about by the spirit here and belief keyword in the truth in 
Second Thessalonians 2.12, those during the tribulation period have heard the gospel, preached from perhaps 144,000 witnesses, Revelation 7, or the two witnesses, Revelation 11, or even from the angel flying through the sky, that's chapter 14 and verse 6 of Revelation, preaching the everlasting gospel. They rejected the truth and therefore would believe the deception of the Antichrist. The Thessalonians had not only been sanctified by the Spirit, but they had belief in the truth. Verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel, to which here refers back to God, because he's the one that is the prime mover. And I want you to observe here, although... We are elected and called from eternity past. We were born again through the preaching of the word of God, the gospel. Because as Paul continues, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The obtaining here, the feminine noun appears five times from the Greek New Testament. It means an acquiring obtaining or purchasing there's a parallel with this we find it in first thessalonians chapter 5 down in verse 9 for god did not appoint us to wrath that would be either eternal wrath or the tribulation wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And salvation carrying the concept of not only the moment we believe in Christ, but then also the outworking of our salvation through glorification. If I can tie this all together, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 to a familiar verse. Verse 28, and I want to build upon this. And we know... That all things work together for good. All things work together for good. God is good. He is a good God. Psalm 119.68 says not only that God is good, but that he does good. So he does all things together for good for those who love God to those who are the called. Catch the term called according to his purpose and now we have five key verbs for whom he foreknew pra gnosko to know ahead of time god knows everything he's always known everything before we had the second hand going around the clock before we had Anything in the universe, God knew. It's who he is. He has foreknowledge. But for us, those that would believe in Christ, I want you to see here the second key verb is predestined. Doesn't mean to mark out ahead of time for heaven or hell, but for God's purpose. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we are marked out ahead of time simply to be like Jesus Christ. So our second key verb, predestined. Moreover, this is verse 30, whom he predestined, these he also called. The effectual call, that's our third key verb, to call 
to salvation. Whom he called, these he also, fourth verb, justified to declare righteous. The moment you believed in the finished work of Christ, you were justified. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. To see God's completed work whereby we are fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, a little insight for you. From those five verbs, all of them are written in the past tense. From foreknowledge all the way through to glorification. Why? Because God is a timeless being. He has always existed. He's always known all things, if you will, for us, past, present, and future. And that even includes man's free will. I know today you have many who try to give you an order for salvation and how the workings of God take place. That is impossible because God is a timeless being. And so when we see these things, we can just have a confidence that what God starts, he's going to complete. And that's the term glorified here. Philippians 1 and verse 6, we can have a confidence that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He will finish the good work he has begun. So our first point, give thanks for the elect whom God will glorify. Paul is obligated, as was Silas and Timothy, to continually give thanks to God, knowing that God would complete the process that he had begun with these saints. So we need to give thanks for the elect whom God will glorify. And in our second point, derived from verse 15, stand firm and cling to Scripture as his elect. Down in verse 15, it's very interesting because we have the word therefore. The Greek actually has two inferential conjunctions placed side by side. An inferential conjunction takes the previous information and gives us a conclusion. We have two of them here. It's a strong conclusion that we have. Saints should understand that God's choosing should lead us to want to participate with what he is doing. We are called to him for his holy purposes. And as we have this tremendous privilege, we should yield our lives fully to him. And Paul reminds the saints who they are. They are brethren, those from the same womb. And then he says, here's the command, stand fast. Present imperative, keep standing fast. Now, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, this term is used literally of someone standing. But the other seven uses are figurative. The idea here is to stand unyielding. See, figuratively, we make a determined stance for our God. Paul writes, if you stand fast, in the Lord. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul commands the saints at Corinth, stand fast in the faith. To be in the faith there is talking about their Christian journey. Stand fast. So number one, you stand fast. And then he goes on to say, and hold 
the traditions. Like the one Greek word to an English, stand fast, hold here is a present imperative. Keep on holding. Have a tight grip on the traditions. Now, not the traditions of the elders, as we read in Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 3 through 9. The tradition of the elders, oral teachings were passed down that got elevated to the level of the scripture, at least from the Jewish rabbi's point of mind. And it's a dangerous thing. No, he's talking here about traditions, the scripture that has been passed down. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, as Paul is speaking about the rapture, he says, this we say to you. By the word of the Lord, whether by word or our epistle, whether it's through Paul's verbal instruction or that which was written down, these saints needed to cling to the scripture. So very important, cling to the scripture, hold fast that which was given to you, handed down, going back all the way from Moses, writing the first five books uh, of the Old Testament through the book of Revelation, given from God down to John to us. Point number three, pray for the elect's comfort and stability in word and deed. Let me say that again from verses 16 and 17. Pray for the elect's comfort and stability in word and deed. Now, as we come to verses 16 and 17, Paul uses two optatives. He gives us the word comfort and then number two, establish. An optative is a wish, if you will. It's a prayer. So Paul says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, what is unusual is that Jesus is placed before the Father. That happens only several times in Scripture. For instance, in Galatians 1.1 and 2 Corinthians 13.14. But here, Paul puts the Son first. And then he goes on and says, and our God and Father. What is Paul doing? He is showing us, even by the word order, that the Son is equal to the Father. I and the Father are one. It goes on to say, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Let's look at two verbs here, loved and given. Interestingly, both are singular. So how do you have a singular verb, two of them here, pointing to two? the son and then the father. Once again, the reason showing the equality of son and father and the unity of the two. It's an amazing thing in scripture to see often that we have our Lord Jesus Christ placed at the same level as the father in the sense of being God and the Desire here is for an everlasting consolation, an everlasting encouragement. And that's something God can give. Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 16 reminds us to come boldly to the throne of grace. 
that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help when in time of need. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is at the right hand of the Father ever praying for us. Ever praying for us. That's Hebrews 7 and verse 25. And from his eternal being flows that mercy, that grace, and there's no limit upon it. Because our God is eternal. So there can be an everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. The word good here is from agathos, which means a beneficial or useful goodness. That's what we get. And how is this done? By God's grace. By God's favor. You just have to love the detail in the word of God. Paul continues to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Comfort here, we have another optative. And by the way, there are not a whole lot of them in the uh, New Testament. The word comfort. And then the second term here, establish. Once again, another optative. And surprise, surprise, uh, both are singular pointing to the Son and the Father. Paul's making a point as Jesus to Philip in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So Paul prays to the Son, interestingly, and the Father to comfort or encourage and stabilize the saints at Thessalonica. Then it says, in every good word and work that they might have a useful and beneficial speech and then also actions or deeds. So let's review. What have we learned from this passage of Scripture? Number one, we are to give thanks for the elect whom God will glorify. And as you're praying for the saints, thank God that what he has started in their lives He will complete. Each one will be glorified. Remember those five verbs in the past tense from foreknowledge all the way through to glorification. He's got it. Give thanks for the elect whom God will glorify. Add that to your prayer time. Number two, stand firm and cling to scripture as his elect. God was good when Jesus was going to leave planet Earth. He says, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to send you a helper called the Spirit of Truth. He has been with you, but now will be in you. But then with John's placement on the Isle of Patmos, the word of God was completed. From Genesis to Revelation, We have God's completed word. We need nothing more. We need nothing more. It's everything that we need to live godly lives. And he's given it to us. Let's know it well. So stand firm. Don't compromise. And cling to scripture as God's elect. It's his word to encourage us. And finally, pray for the elect's comfort and stability in both word and And deed. We need to be praying for each other because many of our elect are 
suffering. They're going through difficult times. Pray that God would encourage, comfort them, and give them stability in both what they say as well and what they do in word and deed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the lives of the Thessalonians, this model church, how strong they were in the faith. Thank you how Paul and Silas and Timothy rejoiced in God's goodness, in what God had started in their lives, he would complete. Thank you that we can learn more about how to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that they might become more stable that they might cling to the word of God, that their words and their deeds would represent you well. So help us, Lord, not just to pray randomly, but to understand how Paul prayed and how Jesus prayed and to imitate their thinking in prayer. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.